Welcome to the Lead to Win podcast, the podcast where we explore strategies, mindsets, and stories behind successful leadership and personal development. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. Let's do it. Really looking forward to this one today as we welcome Jamie Beckler to the show. Jamie is the author of five books, including The Bus Trip and The Coach's Bulletin Board. He also runs the Success as a Choice podcasting network. Before starting his consulting firm, Beckler Leadership, he spent 20 years as a college basketball coach and high school athletic director. Beckler now works with high-level individuals and teams helping them maximize their potential in the area of leadership, culture, and teamwork. Jamie, welcome and thanks for coming on today. Well, I appreciate it, Bo. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit more about Jamie Beckler and who who that is and what's led you to where you are right now. Well you did a you did a great job with the with the intro pretty much. Uh without going without going down my resume. Uh you know, I spent a lot of time as a college basketball coach at a lot of places, mainly small colleges. But uh, you know, I always wanted to be a coach. Um I, uh, you know, it was seventh grade, uh, my, my English teacher, my dreaded English teacher, I didn't like her, uh, as most of us don't like our English teachers, but, uh, she, uh, she had this little library in the corner of her classroom, a library of books. And she said, Hey, Jamie, I know you like basketball. There's a book over there. You might want to look at it's by a guy named John Wooden. They call me coach. And so I read this book from this UCLA legendary coach. And, and it was the first time that I kind of got exposed. I was in seventh grade. It's the first time I got exposed to a coach who loved on his players, liked his players, even if they weren't making baskets, even if they weren't starting. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't mature enough, you know, as a seventh grader to be like, oh, that's the kind of coach I want to be one day. You know, I'm not thinking that far ahead, but I did think, oh, that's a coach that I want. That was the first time I realized that there are coaches out there you know, not to throw my middle school coaches under the bus, but most coaches treat their starters a little bit differently than they treat their bench players, or they treat the people who make the baskets better than the people who don't make baskets in general. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I want a a coach that doesn't yell at me every time I I, I make a turnover um, or roll his eyes every time I miss a shot. And so then that, that was the first time I kind of understood that there was differences of coaches and that you could actually be a different coach. And then as I got older and older, I started to realize, Hey, that's the kind of coach I want to be one day is the John Wooden. And so it it definitely was a evolution and a journey for me because I was, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I was, I was a young head coach, 27 years old as a college head coach for the first time. And I made a lot of mistakes and uh, you know, but I was able to keep getting better and better and better. And then eventually I got out of, uh, basketball coaching and went to be a high school athletic director at a a school in Indiana with the fifth largest gym in the world, seated over 7,000. Nobody's won more boys basketball titles than the school I was at in Indiana. And, you know, Indiana basketball is a big deal. And so that was as a basketball coach in a state that values basketball, being at kind of, you know, arguably the greatest basketball school there, that was a big deal. And that was cool. And then after a couple of years of being there, uh, we ended up starting a, a, a leadership business, uh, became, became my own boss either, you know, 
became my my own boss, my own employee, all that kind of stuff. So went went uh, and developed Beckler leadership, and so we do a lot of consulting with sports teams, with athletic departments at, at all different levels. Did you uh, did you routinely fill the stands at that gym, or was it uh, no? Was it pretty empty? <laughs> it was pretty empty, and and in fact, I tried to uh, get some of the the upper levels like shut off a little bit. Uh-huh. So one, it would help with crowd. One, it would help with teenagers, you know, the kids mm-hmm. running around, but two, it would help with just getting, uh, compacting people more into right. certain areas so that it would be louder. But that was not something that, that it was a, not really a battle. I ended up fighting too much because it was a battle I was going to lose because mm-hmm. part of the mystique of that gym was that it was so big and the tradition of it. And so when you shut it, you know, when you try to do something practical like that, it kind of takes away from that. And when you take away from that, it takes away from, you know, the heritage, it takes away from the memories. And so I, I do understand that. And that's why that was a battle I didn't really fight. But mm-hmm. it was kind of disappointing at times when you would only have, you know, 1500, 2000, you know, 2500 people in the stands when it seats 7000, a little over 7000. But we yeah. had, we had, you know, thou, you know, over 1000 season ticket holders, we had four main entrances to the gym. So every entrance looked the same exact and they were big Mm. and they were these, it's hard to picture it, but as you came in these entrances, there were probably 10 glass doors for every entrance. So huge. You would go in and immediately there was, you could go to the lower level or you could go up this big, huge, huge staircase. And so it was one of those things where we had to have so many ticket takers because we had had ticket takers for going up, down, the, the, the four entrances were so big, you know, so we had to have a lot of personnel and it was, it was a lot of headache as an AD, to be honest. Um, a lot of headache that you didn't need actually, but it was one of those where it was hard to change things because, you know, people had great memories and people, it was tradition and, and, and people that was like a notch on their belt that we have these big entrances or we have these great gyms or I've always come in door four you know, entrance for my whole life. My daddy mm-hmm. came in, my grandparents came in that entrance, you know, or my season tickets are, are over in this corner. So I don't, you know, heaven forbid, I have to walk, right. you know, any farther. I want to come into this entrance or my parking pass is over here. So why would I walk around the building? So it was just a lot of things that I'm sure a lot of your audience, uh, a lot of the ADs that listen to this can, can attest to and, and, and are familiar to them. It might not be that you have, a gym that seats 7,000, but there's, there's always that, well, this is the way it's always been done. Or why would we do it otherwise? Cause my granddaddy did it this way, or my dad did it this way, mm-hmm. you know? So everybody can relate to that, especially at the high school level. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Um, Indiana, you know, I've, I've only been there a couple of times, but basketball is like life, uh, up there. So, well, um, we had, you know, we had, uh, you know, our, our coach, our coach was on a longer contract than I was, you know, our coach had a three-year contract. I had a two-year contract as an AD. Yeah. Um, you know, he had his own Nike contract and I love him to death. I mean, he and I are friends to this day. I mean, we got along great, but you know, he was, he was the typical, you know, he was the superstar. He was the mm-hmm. town superstar and he had won a champ. He'd won championships as a player. He had won championships at other places as a coach, he had won championships at this place as a coach, you know, he was a legend and, uh, you know, you, there were different, it was very interesting how you deal with a superstar coach and everybody has those to a degree, maybe Mm -hmm. not to the level 
that I had it with the basketball coach, but everybody has that coach that's more successful or maybe that's been around longer, but it's, it's definitely about, you have to balance or find a balance or find ways to be wise. All right. That superstar basketball coach, there's, there's some unwritten rules that are a little bit different than the, you know, the JV volleyball coach or the tennis coach or whoever, even if they've been successful, there's just little different unwritten rules that you have to navigate. You know, there, you know, if, if basketball is not bringing, we were a revenue, we were a hundred percent revenue generated for our budget. So if basketball is not bringing in people or football is not bringing in people, then softball doesn't get new bats, you Mm -hmm. know, tennis doesn't get new uniforms, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, having a superstar basketball coach presents some issues that uh, were definitely very interesting. Yeah, I bet. So what kind of went into your decision um, to transition from coaching and being an AD to kind of what you're doing now? Yeah, it was one of those things where the the most practical reason I left being an AD to go into my own business, quite frankly, is I hated being in an office every day and having to be in the building. Mm-hmm. I was hired as a college guy to come in and institute some college stuff to be different than what they had always experienced. But having to be in the building all day long instead of being out you know, with boosters or being out talking to people, trying to, trying to get alumni support or whatever, or just the fact of, you know, you, you know, Bo, you know, you come in when the sun's still down, when it's still dark and you leave when it's dark. Well, when do you have time to work out? When do you have time to go be with your family? And so there would be times when I would, uh, you know, sneak away to the YMCA to get a quick workout in and people will be like, wait a minute, shouldn't you be at school? And it's like, well, we have a secretary and an assistant AD who are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, I'm putting in 15, 16 hour days. I can take a, an hour off. I know that's not a great answer, but that's the, that's the practical answer of what made me start thinking about, you know what? I love diving deep with our student athlete leadership group. I love diving deep with our coaching staff. But you know what? There's some administrative and bureaucracy junk that I don't want to deal with necessarily when when maybe there's something else I could do that can have a huge impact. And so I started looking into this and it was like, you know, what? you can do the same things. We instituted student athlete leadership uh, for the first time at that school. I know, Bo, at your school, you've also done the same thing. They hadn't had that before. Well, maybe I can help other schools do the same thing. Maybe I can go in and work with student athlete leadership groups. So it's not. 100% the same as diving deep with 20 athletes every week or every day that you see in the hallways, but I can still have that. I can still do that. And maybe the reach can be farther out. Maybe I can help, you know, here are some things that I did or things that I did that were bad or things I did that were good. And I can help a lot of other schools or a lot of other student athletes or coaches as well. So I, I thought maybe we can make this impact or have an impact on a wider scale and I don't have to sit in an office all day. Right. So what it was more you... the impact type stuff of how can I, I love leadership stuff. I love coaching coaches. I love the idea of helping student athletes be better and not make some of the same mistakes I made as a student athlete or some of the same mistakes I've seen some of my players make at different times. And so I love that idea of being able to help people. And so mm-hmm. I was like, how, how can I do that on a greater scale? I knew I couldn't do it in one building or at one school. Um, right. And I just was tired of making sure, you know, what happens when the blue Powerade runs out and people are complaining because there's no blue Powerade. Well, drink the red Powerade. <laughs> yep. Been there. 
So after you made that transition, what do you think, what would you say is the biggest challenge you faced uh, with this new venture? Yeah, well, the, the biggest challenge is when you run your own business, you know, everything is you. You know, you have to take care of everything. Like it, the easy part, people will see you on stage, you know, or you go speak on stage at the Missouri AD, co- uh, AD conference or a coaches conference or whatever. And people are like, oh, that's really cool. Or I really liked what you said. Well, that's the easy part. Coming up with content or, or speaking, that's the easy part. The hard part is the actual business aspect of it. It's like being an AD. There's certain aspects of being an AD that you love, but some of the junky things is actually scheduling the referees, actually scheduling the buses, uh, hounding your coaches to get those physical forms in, in in late July, early August. Those are the things of the job that you hate. Well, there's things that having your own business that I didn't understand I had to do that I've learned to hate, you know, Mm -hmm. but you learn, you have to do that. So the first couple of years of being a business owner, it was like, it was like being a graduate assistant again at the college level. Like you don't know what you don't know. And so you're learning all this new stuff. The speaking stuff was kind of easy. You know, working with athletes was easy. Working with coaches was easy compared to all the, all the minutia and all the administrative stuff that comes with the business side of it. So that, that's the, the biggest problem or adjustment, but then taking that aside, you know, I mentioned, I didn't like being in a building all day. I didn't like being confined to an office, but I did love being around coaches and being around student athletes all day long. Well, unless I'm working with a team, even if I'm working with a team, I'm still spending three, four, seven hours traveling to get to that team. Mm -hmm. I'm not spending very much time around teams all the time. Like it's a very lonely, um, it's very lonely sometimes in terms of, um, you know, I don't have a team around me on a full-time basis. It's just me and my family. You know, I don't, I don't have one team always that I'm working with. Uh, you know, I have lots of teams I'm working with at the same time. So you don't go as deep with some people as you did when, when you had your own basketball team or your own athletic department. Mm Mm-hmm. What would you say is your motivation or what inspires you every day to get up in the morning? Yeah. Every time I say it, I'm like, that's kind of a dumb answer because it's easy to say it's cliche. It's like a bumper sticker, but I really want things to be better in this world. And I know that sounds whoa so deep. Like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. I have made so many business decisions financially that don't pay off. Or I've made so many decisions that don't do anything for my business, but try to help others. So, for instance, I will talk to so many coaches for 30 minutes for an hour on the phone without them paying me. Well, when you're in business, when you own a business, you you eat what you hunt. Like you, you, there's no paycheck coming on Friday or every other week, like it did when I was a coach, when I was an AD. So everything, every decision I do, every minute I spend is either money I'm getting or not getting. Like there's no check coming. And so there's a lot of things that I do that doesn't pay off financially, but I do it because, hey, Bo has an issue. Bo has a problem. Bo had a question. I want to help him out so that those athletes, So because if, if I can do just one small thing, give Bo one small idea that he's then able to institute with his coaches or his student athletes, then, then maybe there's one or two student athletes 
that maybe make a better decision, you know, on a Friday night, or they become a little bit better teammate. And it sounds weird, but, you know, your community is going to be better five, 10, 15 years from now. It's going to be better or worse based upon what you do now with your student athletes or what you do now with your coaches who then do something with their student athletes. And that's a big deal. I look around, my son does not play sports. He's an e, he's an he's a gamer. He's an esports guy as a seventh grader. But I try to do as much as I can with our local schools with their athletes because we live in this community, and I want our athletes not being boneheads, not doing stupid things in our community because we live here, and so mm-hmm. I want our student athletes to be better leaders and teammates in this community. I know that sounds really deep, and it sounds like you know pie in the sky type stuff. And and you're not going to reach everybody. You're not going to do everything, but you can reach somebody and you can do something. And so if if I can do one thing that helps one kid make a better decision, then then great. Now, that doesn't help us financially. You know, that's not a good business decision. You know, if I spend an hour with with a coach on the phone who's not paying me, that does nothing for our financial situation. And obviously, I'm not in a charity. You know, I'm, I'm not a uh, I'm not a, a nonprofit. But you ask for the motivation. You ask for why I do things. I want to help people. I want to make the world a little bit better. And that sounds deep and it sounds like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I hate it when people argue on social media. I hate it when Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats. I hate it when, you know, I I see somebody get shot after a game because they don't know how to handle their anger or handle a conflict like that. That really doesn't it doesn't just annoy me, but it, it saddens me. Like it, it, it frustrates me. And so if I can do anything and, and sometimes it, it seems like you're, you take one step forward, two steps back, but if, it, if there's anything, you know, I can do to help, I try to do it within reason. Mm-hmm. So looking back on your career, is there a certain time period or instance that you can think of where you maybe experienced the most growth? as a, as either a person or a professional? Yeah, the most growth probably was when I got fired. Um, I'm 27 years old, youngest head coach, NCAA division three head coach in America, women's basketball coach, 27 years old. I make so many mistakes. My first, uh, that, that go around for those four years, I make so many mistakes because I'm constantly, it's about me. I'm trying to prove that I belong. Hey, just do what I tell you to do. They wouldn't have hired me if I didn't know what I'm doing. Just do what I tell you to do. My leadership philosophy was very much, I'm in a position of leadership. I'm up here. You guys just do what I tell you to do. Be compliant followers. And so everything was relying on me. I was the head of this culture. I was the head of this team. And yes, the leader is going to create a vision. The leader is going to be the head, but it can't be about me as the leader. And I made it about me. And so after four years, they allowed me to take my talents elsewhere. Uh, I got resigned. Uh, they let me go. And soon after getting let go, I call up the only uh, Division One basketball coach I know that had been fired, that I have their cell phone, that I'm, that I'm friends with. I call him up. And, and my main reason for calling him up is, you know, hey, I'm going to call you up because I want to find out what I should do legally. Hey, contract wise, all this stuff, what's my next steps, you know, administratively that I should do. And he's like, Jamie, your first step right now is to decide if you're going to be bitter or better. I'm like, what? 
He's like, right now, it doesn't matter what actions you take. You have to decide mentally, am I going to be better because of this or bitter because of this? Because what that's going to do then is in the next two hours, that's going to dictate your decisions and your actions. And in the next two days, it's going to dictate your decisions and your actions. And five years from now, you're going to be a better coach or a worse coach. Five years from now, you're going to be a better person or a worse coach based upon right now, are you going to decide to be bitter or better? And then we, he probably said it a lot more eloquently and a lot better than that. But essentially, that was like a slap across my face of, you know what? Stop complaining about you got a raw deal. You know, yeah, you were coach of the year two years ago. Okay, big deal. It doesn't matter. Better coaches than you have been fired. It's not about the 10 things, 10 reasons why you shouldn't have been fired. It should be, these are the 10 things I didn't do very well as a coach that I can do better at, that that my student athletes can can benefit from down the road, that I can be a better coach down the road because I focused on these 10 things that that I fell short in rather than the 10 reasons I shouldn't have been fired. Don't look at that stuff. Be bitter or be better. You can't be both. And and you you say, you know, what what is what is the thing I learned or the thing I went through? That was the thing that probably grew me up the fastest. And I remember that. And even when I've had to let coaches go, let's say as an athletic director, I had to let some coaches go. You know, that was something I talked about with them was, I know you don't like this. You know, hey, how do you feel about this? Well, obviously they didn't feel good about it. And then we would talk about bitter or better. And not every coach, you know, jumped on board with that. But I know that like our football coach would look back, you know, a football coach we had to let go. And he was like, that was one of the best things you ever said to me. a friend of mine got fired at uh, Michigan State, or the, or he was a coach at Michigan State. That staff got let go, uh, and uh, you know I talked to him about that, and I actually sent him a book about being bitter or being better, and uh, uh, it was a book that this Division One coach had sent me as well. So he talked to me on the phone, and then he sent me this book. Well, I sent this book to a friend of mine at Michigan State, and to this day, he's like, that was one of the best things that anyone ever did for me because it put things in a different perspective. And it's not like it was magical book. It's not like those are magical words. And it's not like I was the first person to ever say that, or that division one coach was the first person to ever say that to me, but it was the first time that I ever saw it in that perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. Our actions don't necessarily have to change right away, but our mentality needs to change sometimes, you know, Hey, I am going to be better about something. Now you're still going to have setbacks. You're still going to fall short sometimes, but your attitude has to change. So you've obviously worked in the in the field of athletics, uh, but you've also trained people in the business world. Um, what similarities do you notice uh, in effective business leaders and effective sports leaders? I think there's very little difference um, other than the, the specifics of, you know, somebody's dribbling a ball or catching a ball or throwing a ball where maybe you're doing, you know, in the business, you're doing TPS reports or you're doing accounting or you're, uh, you know, typing away on a computer. Uh, The actual what you're doing, the task might be different, but how you go about the task oftentimes is you're going to have the same mentality. Uh, You're going to, you take some of the same qualities, some of the same qualities that make up a good basketball player, the same ones that make up a good bank teller. Now, obviously, it doesn't matter if you're six foot eight or five foot eight as a bank teller. I'm not talking about the physical qualities, but the mental qualities, how you approach uh, getting better at your job, how you approach just your job in general. Do you approach it as, oh, I got to go to work. It's a nine to five job. What does this matter? Or do you approach it like, you know what? 
every customer that comes in front of me today, I'm going to try to be the reason that they smile. I'm going to try, you know, for, for those five minutes, that might be the best five minutes of their day, or maybe they're going through something, or you know what, just flat out, I'm going to be competent. I might not change their day. I might not make them smile, but you know what? I'm going to be very competent in what I do, and they're not going to be able to complain or get frustrated at our customer service. You can be competent in what you're doing or think about, all right, how does this look to people? Do we have the right signage up? Are we being logical about what we do in our business, or do we just pretty much show that we don't care? And there's a lot of businesses we go into where they really show that they don't care about us. You know, they don't look up at us or they don't, you know, if they're dealing with another customer, they don't say, hey, can you hold on just one minute, please? I'll be right with you they don't even acknowledge you sometimes or they're not competent or you're very confused when you go into a business. So I don't think there's a lot of difference sometimes about the way you approach that kind of stuff. As a leader, I don't think there's much difference either. You're trying to put together a team. You're trying to fit people into a puzzle. You're trying to get the best out of those people so that, that your organization, your company, your business achieves its success, but you're in the people business. And so I see a lot of managers, a lot of supervisors, they don't treat their people well, and then they bang their head against the the wall because it's like, well, why, why, you know, why aren't we getting the production that we need? Well, it's because your people hate being there. Well, yeah, well, they're going to hate any job that they're at. Well, that might be true, but maybe they could hate this job a little less. Maybe you could ask them about their family. Maybe you could, you know, stop making their job so frustrating. Maybe you could help them out, ask them questions to find out what they like. Maybe, maybe they, you know, boots on the ground. Maybe they know a little bit better how to do a certain task, but you're trying to tell them how to do this task because it's the way you did it. But maybe they have a better way, but you've never listened to them. And I'm not saying let the inmates run the asylum, but a lot of times managers and supervisors, people in charge of businesses or organizations, they don't, they don't really listen. They don't have their head on a swivel. They don't really take into account what their team members think. Going back to me as a coach, I didn't care what they thought. I didn't care if they thought that offense or defense was good because I was smarter than them. You might be smarter than somebody, but that doesn't mean they're going to be inspired when you spew forth your knowledge. You know, uh, there's an old movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Matthew Broderick and, and these high school kids are sitting in class and this, this teacher is going on and on and on and boring them. You know, Bueller, 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 anyone, anyone, anyone. You know, and it's kind of a funny scene but that teacher was the smartest person in the room. They're spewing forth knowledge, but nobody cares because they're not inspired by that person whatsoever because that person doesn't give a rip what those kids think. And they don't give a rip about what motivates them or because this is the way it should be. You should sit there, take notes because I'm smarter than you. That's how a lot of us do it as coaches. That's how I did it. I'm mm -hmm. smarter than you. So listen to me. John Maxwell talks about five levels of leadership and the bottom level is positional. That's the, that's the bottom most basic level. People follow you because they have to. No, you don't want people following you because you're the AD or because you're the coach. You want people following you because they believe in you, because they're inspired, because they, they believe that, you know, because you've, you've breathed life into them. You've given them hope, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and a lot of us as leaders don't do that, whether it's business or sports. And, and I think we can learn from that. It's not about getting people to do what we tell them to do or having compliant followers. It's, it's about having inspired people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So the topic of today's conversation is enhancing your impact as a leader. 
impact is a word that uh, I would almost consider it a buzzword. Um, we all want to have a, a lasting impact on the people that we lead, but I think enhancing that impact is something that can be dive, dove into a little bit more. And uh, I think there's some relevant stuff that people could do to enhance that impact. We can all probably think of a coach or a mentor or a teacher uh, that's that's had the biggest impact on our lives. Um, out of all those people that we can think of, do you think there's a common characteristic that all of those impactful people share? And if so, what is that characteristic? The first thing that comes to mind is is care, um, and not and and not exactly the way we might think. We all think that we care about our students or we care about people. I'm not talking that we actually care. That's the first part, but they have to know that we care. You know, that, that cliche or that quote that people say a lot of times, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We forget that it's, they know how much you care. Sometimes it's just, we, we think of it as people don't care how much you know until we care. No, mm-hmm. that's not the quote. It's not enough for us to care. I, I can't just care about Bo. Yes, we, we have to care about Bo. Bo has to know that I care about them. And I think that's where a lot of times we mess up because, oh, I love, I love our, my athletes or I care about them, but do they know that? And if they don't know that and really know that, then you're not going to then be able to build up trust. You're not going to be able to inspire them. So the care, not just one way caring, but they have to know that. So that means we have to demonstrate it. Um, on a, on a daily basis. And especially, you know, Bo, you, you dealing with high school students on a daily basis, you know, if, if anyone dealing with teenagers, it's a constant, like their attention spans, like two seconds long. Well, extrapolate that out into the caring business. If their attention span on something that they love, like TikTok or Instagram is like two seconds long. Well, then we have to constantly reaffirm them or, or, I even I don't like that word necessarily, but what we have to constantly catch them being good. We have to constantly praise them when they deserve it. We have to constantly show them that we care. Now, some kids, we might have to look a little harder to find something to praise them on. And I'm not talking the fake stuff, but I am talking about seeing the potential in kids. Their attention span is low. Their self-esteem is low. So we have to constantly find ways to to build them up. Uh, but even even if you are the manager of a of a bank or a, a, a company with people working in cubicles, there's still people too. They still have hopes, fears, dreams, ambitions, emotions. You still have to try to find a way to let them know that you care. Um, and a lot of times that that's your words matching your actions. And and a lot of us in leadership positions oftentimes our actions betray our words. Um, I'll give you a, a story. I was in seventh grade and uh, I had this friend named Bill and Bill and I were friends, but I was a good student. I, I did what was right. My mom was a teacher, so I couldn't get in trouble. I tried not to get in trouble. Bill was one of these typical screwballs, um, you know, did bad things. You know, uh, we called them, you know, in, in my school, they were stoners. Okay. And uh, he didn't get good grades, but Bill and I were friends. Okay. And so we had this class project, a group project. Bill and I get together to do this project and he actually does a great job. We turn this project in. Then a couple of days later, the teacher turns it back to us. I get an A, Bill gets an F. And I'll never forget the teacher saying, Bill, there's no way I know, there's no way you did this work. 
you're not a good student. And Jamie is a good student. I know that you let him do all this work. Now, that was not true at all, but I could see how the teacher would think that. And we've all probably been in these situations. Now, fast forward five years from now, Bill continues to make bad decisions, continues to spiral down, down, down. He ends up killing a couple people, goes away, life in prison. All right, that's an extreme example. And I have no idea what would have happened if Bill had gotten an A that day like he deserved. No idea. You know, I'm not going to say that he wouldn't have ended up going away life in prison. But here's what I do know for 100% certainty. There was at least one point, one time in Bill's life that an authority figure, a teacher, an AD, a coach, had an opportunity to catch Bill being good had an opportunity to praise Bill for something that he had done that he deserved from a positive way to affirm him or to encourage him on something, to give him hope. There was one time and that authority figure failed to do that. Don't know what would have happened, but if you start thinking about how many times do we kind of judge a book by its cover, or even we say, all right, there's a real good reason why that teacher didn't think Bill did the work. I was, he was probably justified in thinking that, but if every interaction you have with kids, you go into it as, as opposed to thinking, well, they've done all this stuff in the past, you know, they're probably an idiot or they're probably this or that. If you go into every interaction with a kid of how can I make that kid's life just a little bit better today? What can I do to be a dealer in hope? How can I provide them hope? How can I inspire them in some way? Now that's hard when we're worried about you know, are kids turning in physical reports or are they, you know, I got to get these buses scheduled or, you know, in the day-to-day life, it's hard because that little three minute interaction with a kid might be interrupting our day when we have to do other stuff. But maybe that little interaction was just what that kid needed, not to change their life, but to get them to their next interaction with the next authority figure. It might get them through the next 15 minutes of their day. I know I struggled with that. Because I was about work. I was about, I got this stuff to get done. But when we take up the approach of every interaction we have is a chance maybe to to just plant a seed or to invest just a little bit, you know, emotional bank account, to put in that a little emotional bank account with these kids, and especially for your audience that are, do work with kids every day, I, I think that that story is is pertinent. And I, I it, it doesn't mean that you give everybody A's, you know, uh, because some Kids might, you know, I went to college and I had some group projects where I made sure to get with the smartest girls in class because I knew that they were going to do well. (laughs) You know, they were going to do the bulk of the work. You know, I did that. So, so I knew there are going to be people like that. But what I'm saying is we have an opportunity when we're dealing with people to catch them being good. And when we have that opportunity, we need to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, uh, our school is a very rural um, area. We deal with a lot of kids that come from a variety of different backgrounds. And that has been so rewarding to me is, you know, just being intentional about those interactions you have with the, you know, maybe the kid's not a starter on the basketball team or he's not involved in a whole lot of things in the school, but simply by smiling at them, asking them how their day's going, um, that can go a long ways when just giving people a little value. And I, I like what you said there. Um, that's very relevant. Think, to- think about, think about you go to a basketball game as an AD or a principal, you go to the basketball game. Everybody knows the kid that scored 25 points. Mm-hmm. Okay. The dumbest, the dumbest parent in the stand recognizes that kid had a good game. 
how far do you think it would go if the 12th man on that team, the kid that doesn't play very much, if you saw him do something in the third quarter, like you saw him help the trainer pass out water, or you saw he was the first one to jump up off the bench and give high fives to a player when they came, you know, out of the game, or, you know, they got just a couple minutes of playing time in a meaningless game, but they took a charge or they didn't take a charge. They blocked out. They didn't even get the rebound, but they blocked out the other team's best player and it allowed one of their teammates to go get a rebound. If you pointed that thing out to that kid the next day at school or even that day, you know, that night, if you pointed that out, just think about how much, you know, how how much credibility you're going to get with that kid or how much they're going to be like, wow, coach saw that or Mr. So-and-so saw that. Like, that's not going to change their life necessarily. And that's not going to say that they're never going to mess up in your class again. But what that might do is it might buy you one or two interactions with them later on where you have to correct them on something. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joe, Joe, you can't do that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. As opposed to Joey, you can't do that. Oh, you know, forget you. You know, what are you talking about? I didn't do it. You know, it, it might just buy you just a little bit extra time at worst at best. It might start to be like, wow, I'm going to do more of that because, because Mr. So-and-so saw that those are little things that we can do. Obviously you can't do, you know, millions of those every day. I mean, you can't do it for every single kid every day. But if you're more intentional about looking around, keeping your head on a swivel about how can I add value to some kid that maybe is not getting that value elsewhere, mm-hmm. boom, all of a sudden, I mean, that's that's why we're in education or that's why the listeners that are in education are doing it. You're not doing it to get rich. You're not right. doing it to get famous. You know, you're doing it to 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 make the world a little bit better. And so those little things, if you can catch people being good, man, that could be so huge. That could be a game changer for a lot of kids. Yep. Good stuff. So as a leader, you know, I, I think it's vital to be self-aware. Um, and I, I work on that every day. I try to measure my interactions with people and try to figure out how exactly I'm doing. Um, but as a leader, how would I go about measuring my impact? And, you know, maybe I see some adjustments that I have to make. Uh, maybe I need to say things in a different way. Uh, what adjustments should I be thinking about to, in order to enhance my impact further? Yeah. One of the best ways to enhance your impact is to train up or help people be almost not necessarily mini me, not to be, you know, uh, uh, the same as you or be an extension of you, but training up people so that they can go out and make an impact as well. The kind of uh, multiplication, you know, you, you, you know, the ripple effect. Uh, so to speak. And so, you know, as a, as a young coach, I mentioned already that it was all about me. It was all about just do what I tell you to do. It doesn't have to be that that extreme sometimes, but as leaders, what we do is we want to have impact, but we're the only ones that can be the ones imparting knowledge or just do what I tell you to do. It might not even be from a negative or a, a selfish standpoint. It's just that I know better. You know, so I need all these, you know, as an AD coaches, you need to do this, 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 and this. And we impart our knowledge. Once again, it's not even from a selfish standpoint. It's just that, you know what, we're limited at time. I'm going to tell you what to do. Well, what we do is we, we begin those habits. We, we build up those habits in our people where they're really just being followers. They're being compliant. They're doing what they're told to do. They're not then actually being 
they're not, their impact is lessened because some of them aren't going to like to be told what to do, but also your impact is lessened because you're not getting ideas from them. The only ideas you have are what, what's in your brain already. And so if you could, to make this more practical. So if you're in a staff meeting and you want to create, have more impact yourself. All right. I got into this as an AD, you know, not to put blue power aid in the concession stand and not to schedule buses. I got into this because I want to make a positive impact on the community. One of the best ways to make a positive impact on the community is to help your coaches be better, to train them up. It's not, but it's not just all the stuff that Bo knows in his head. It's all the stuff that they know as well, and they share it with one another. Maybe we have think tanks. Maybe we share ideas. You give them chances in your in your staff meetings to to talk about something. Hey, we're going to have a five minute professional development on this topic. You know, if you have some cool things that you do, maybe it's maybe it's a uh, you know the first thing I think of it is you know none of us have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of budgets. Well when you go on a trip or when you get extra gear or when you do this or this or this, are there some ways you've saved money or ways to, uh, you know, share with others or best practices on something? So it's not always just Bo imparting his knowledge. It's us as a collaboration talking about things. Um, It's you asking them how they feel about a certain thing. Hey, you know, what, what do you think would be the best way for us to go about doing X, Y, or Z? Now, I know that's all kind of task oriented that I'm talking about, um, but you can look at it relationship relationally as well. You go and talk to, you know, your tennis coach. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about that? And you ask them maybe before you make that decision and then they feel like they're a little more, more valued because you're asking their decision. Now, where that impact goes is that, what you're doing is is you're building that trust. You're showing them that you actually care. And so when they care, when they know that you care about that, now all of a sudden they're going to listen to you a little bit more. So when you are imparting knowledge or when you're asking them to do something or they might take more ownership in what's going on. So now they can then impact that to their student athletes. And what happens then is when they're dealing with their student athletes, they maybe take that same example. It's not all about just do what I tell you to do. Now they're trying to develop other leaders. They're trying to develop a culture where people are taking ownership in stuff. And it's not just always coach telling them to do something. It's, Hey, we're going to work together. We're going to go together. We're going to achieve stuff together. And it's not always going to be, I'm telling you to do this. You do it. Certainly, especially at the high school level, there's always going to be a time when, when you just have to tell them to do something. Um, You know, there's no time for discussion. But there's plenty of times for discussion. There's plenty of times for I'm going to ask your opinion on something. I want to know kind of what you guys think, as opposed to it always being coach's thing. And so if you want your impact to be great, provide that example. Start doing the stuff that you want them to do. Uh, Not just set the example, but be the example. Not just tell them what to do, but actually do those kinds of things. So if you can be relational, if you can earn their trust, if you can show that you care, now that might help them show that they care as well. So that was kind of a long answer. But if you can multiply your impact somewhere where it's not just me trying to fix the whole school or trying to impact the whole school, it's me with our 15, 20, 25 coaches. And then those 20, 25 coaches are looking at it. It's not just me as a coach. It's all of our players. And before you know it, you got hundreds of people in your athletic department doing what's right. Um, 
you know, it's not just you doing it. It's, it's you developing other leaders as opposed to just developing good followers. Yeah. So as we, as we mentioned earlier, you know, all leaders want to have an impact. Um, but sometimes we fall short and maybe the, the words that we're saying, the messages that we're getting, trying to get across to the people we lead didn't quite sticking. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a scary feeling, especially for, <laughs> for a coach and to think that your words or messages are falling on deaf ears. Sometimes if I'm a leader and I know that the impact that I have on the people that I lead is not where I want it to be, what should I do? Very first thing is you got to look inward. So make sure, you know, the the perception of your impact isn't where it needs to be or it's not as big as it needs to be. Our first instinct is to say, well, they're an idiot. They don't listen. They don't care. We we look externally. So the very first thing, any of this is we got to look internally and say, am I doing what I need to do? Could I have done a little bit better? Hey, where are my motives? Um, sometimes we want to have a lot of impact because it makes us look good as a coach. My first job. Okay. I was considered this leadership guy, but the leadership was based upon, and I even preach servant leadership, but it was all based upon, I wanted to look good. We're going to do all this community service. We're going to do all this stuff. Hey, I'm going to talk about leadership, but it's really just so that the attention is on me. The spotlight's on me. So sometimes our agenda can be wrong. Um, even though we're trying to say we want this impact. So we got to look internally first. Once we've kind of determined that, all right, yeah, we, we, our agenda is right or our, our motives are kind of in the right place or, yeah, I kind of, I, I said stuff in the right way or maybe I communicated in the right way. Now, what are the situations, what are the obstacles or the barriers that are getting in the way of the impact? So maybe I'm trying to talk to a coach well, they're being inundated with stuff in their family life. They're maybe they've had other ADs in the past that say one thing and then do another. So they have distrust of ADs or bosses. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe they're just feeling so much stress. You know, it could be as simple. This is a silly solution or silly, silly thought. Maybe their brother also coaches at another school and their brother's having more success and they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves to be better. And so they're taking shortcuts or they're not listening to the AD or they listen to the AD, but they're just so stressed out because they're trying to achieve some goal or, or they're comparing themselves to somebody. It could be a million different reasons why you didn't get through to them. It could be that, yeah, you know what? I, I communicated in a great way, but let's try a different way. What I did should have worked, but let's try a different way of communicating. So maybe I'm going to do it in a different method or a different mode of communication. Maybe I'm going to start off the conversation in a different way. Maybe I'm going to relate it in, in some way uh, to, to, so let's say you have a coach that's, that, let's say you just in general have a coach that's not uh, buying into something that you want them to buy into. Maybe you can come at it from the angle of, hey, uh, you know, coach, I know Jalen, you know, last week did this, you know, you, is that pretty frustrating? Oh yeah. That was really frustrating. I, you know, I don't know what, what I'm going to do with that kid. And then you kind of talk softly about, well, what Jalen did to you is the same thing you're doing to me right now. Um, you kind of, is there a way that I can strategically come at it from a different angle or a different point of view? Uh, now all of that 
falls flat if you don't have a good relationship with them. If they don't know you care, if you don't have trust built up, none of your strategies, none of those methods are really going to be optimal because at the end of the day, they don't trust you. So you've got to find a way to build that trust to, to, for them to know that you care. That is going to then allow you to have more impact and allow you to then have better strategies. Um, the strategies don't work if, if there's no trust there. Just like on a team, your plays don't work if you don't have, if, if the players don't trust one another, if the players don't trust the coach. If you run this, the greatest play in the world won't work if one of the players who's supposed to be screening, you know, or setting a screen doesn't want to do it because they believe that you're just running this play to get this other kid shots because you like this kid better. So maybe their screen isn't as good. And so the play breaks down. So you're only as good as that trust that you have among your team members. So, you know, your impact is only as good as your, your strategies are only as good as the trust that you have with those people to then be able to use some of those strategies. Yeah. So speaking of trust, what role would you say does consistency play in establishing and maintaining trust within your team? Yeah. You know, you don't want your players to be always wondering, you know, what, what's coach going to do? Like uh, is coach coach, he's bipolar or he always flies off the handle or, you know, I have to walk on eggshells around him or, or some days he comes to practice all moody. Or some days he, he, he doesn't have energy, you know, or oh, if he didn't drink his coffee, you know, if he didn't have his, his monster energy drink or his Red Bull, you know, uh, you don't you definitely don't want your players wondering about that because there's enough on their plate. You know, these teenagers that we're dealing with, they, they've got enough confusion in their head as it is. They don't need a coach that confuses them. So be as consistent as possible. And my hope would be that you're consistent in a positive way. You're consistent in a good way. You know, because you can also be consistent in terms of you're always being negative and you're always ripping into people all the time. I don't think that that helps, especially a teenager. I would hope you'd be positive from a consistent, uh, consistent in a positive manner. But yeah, spend some time thinking about what truly matters to you. You know, I know as coaches, if you're a football coach, there's a million things that go into being a good team. There's a million things that go into winning a game. If you put the same emphasis on every little, every single thing in the world, kids, I, I know that's our tendency as coaches to do that, but they're going to be, they can't do everything. And so as a coach, I think it's very important to come up with, you know, what are your core values? What are the things that matter the most? This doesn't mean that we allow other things to happen bad, but what are the things that our kids can hang their hat upon? that they know this is what we're about. And so if you can kind of think about what, how do I want to coach? What are our core values? What are the, what are the, the beliefs that we have? What are, these are the non-negotiables. Hey, this is how we do things, or this is not how we do things. Um, letting them know that, but spending some time where it's internalized in you. So it then can be internalized in them. So like as a basketball coach, one of the things we were known for was rebounding. There was no doubt whatsoever we were a rebounding team. Every single player knew that they had to rebound the ball. Rebounding was important to us. That didn't mean that I wanted them to turn the ball over and not care about turning the ball over. But there were different consequences or different rewards for if you were a good or a bad rebounder. If you turn the ball over, it could help or hurt us. Or, you know, turning the ball over could hurt us. Not turning the ball over could help us. 
but those weren't quite the same. So, so let's say you turn the ball over a lot. You might still start if you were a great rebounder, but our kids knew there was a lot of clarification and there was a lot of clear communication as opposed in terms of what was expected of them, because I didn't want to confuse them. Now, should they turn the ball over? No, they should take care of the ball. Should they make baskets? Yes, that would be a good thing in basketball. But if you do this, this, and this, you will provide yourself an opportunity to play more or an opportunity to help our team out more. Some people don't value rebounding as much as I did. Some people will value another area of, of basketball or whatever, or, or life in general. I think it's very important to be very clear in how you communicate clear to the point that they understand it, not just that you understand it, but that they understand it as well. But you can't do everything. Um, so let them know what's most important, most important to them. So I think that's consistent. But you've been around coach or Bo, I know you've been around coaches that take the rebounding thing in basketball, not to get into the weeds, but you'll have a game on Friday night where you give up so many offensive rebounds and you lost the game because the team missed all these shots, but they got all their, the rebounds back. And so the next day at practice, the coach is going off. He's like, we're going to do all these, you know, war drills or monster drills or killer drills. You know, we're just going to get after it. And, you know, you better bring mouth mouthpieces or, you know, cause we're going to get after it. But did you do rebounding drills? Did you emphasize rebounding, you know, in the three weeks prior to that game? No, we've, we've all been around coaches like that, that the, the urgency, the panic sets in and they start doing something, but they weren't emphasizing it previously. That wasn't important to them enough. And now it is. Well, that confuses the kids because they can't do everything. So that's kind of a long story to say, I think we do need to be consistent, but it starts with us and examining what are the things that are most important to us. And then if we can master those things, now we can move on to some of these other things as well. But let's master these things so that these teenagers or the young adults we deal with, they're not confused. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a, to be consistent, you can't be a reactive person. You have to be proactive and yep. You know, that's, that's huge when developing consistency. Um, so it, every coach has some sort of conflict or disagreement, uh, amongst <laughs> their team, whether it's, uh, with their assistant coaches or with their players, how can leaders effectively address and resolve those conflicts uh, to strengthen that trust among the team members? Yeah, the very first thing is, like I've mentioned already, relationship, relationships. And I'm not talking like kumbaya thing. I'm not talking about just being best friends and popularity contests, being liked by everybody. But you've got to have relationships with people so that you build trust with people, so that you can have hard conversations. If you're going to have a difficult conversation, a tough conversation, then you need a strong bond. Um, so whether it's disagreements that we have, you know, I have a disagreement with you, Bo. Well, we need a strong bond if we're going to have a difficult, strong, tough conversation. We need some kind of a strong bond, some strong connection, or else you're always going to have that distrust of the things that Jamie's saying, do I really know where he's coming from? What his motives are? Well, I just don't like him. He's just a jerk. I'm not going to listen to him. So it goes in one ear out the other, or we just, you know, put up our hand. Well, even if it's mediating conflict, you're an AD and two coaches are, are, are arguing over gym time 
or they're arguing over an athlete, you know, a two sport athlete. I know, Bo, at your school, you have a number of two sport athletes or three sport athletes. You're arguing over this, you know, well, you're, he's a he's a football player and a basketball player. Well, basketball starts. I want him doing some stuff for this. How do you how do you mediate that or reconcile that or bring them to a consensus or, or get them on the same page? You can't do that if you don't have a connection with them. You're going to have a difficult, tough conversation with them. You need a strong bond or a strong connection. It starts with that relationship. It starts with, it's not just coach and athlete that there needs to be where the athlete knows that you care. Sometimes it's, it's AD to coach. Sometimes it's coach to assistant coach. Sometimes it's peer to peer coach of one sport to coach of another sport. And, and, and oftentimes we don't see things the way other people see things. So the relationship part is, is very important, but even before that understanding perspective, we, I see things differently than Bo, you know, coach sees things differently than the AD, AD sees things differently than the coach. Definitely coach sees things differently than the player. It doesn't mean one's right or wrong. It means we see things differently. So if you don't understand where the other person's coming from, a lot of times we have disagreements with people. It's. A lot of times because we don't see their point of view. We don't see where they're coming from. And if both of us, both parties are trying to see where the other comes from, it doesn't mean that we like it. It doesn't mean that we come to a conclusion or a good solution. But what it does mean is it gives us a chance. It gives us a better opportunity to find common ground, to find a win-win solution or just at least not a lose-lose solution. Um, we're we're, we're typically, uh, you know, you don't always find the lose-lose solution, but you don't want to find a solution that everybody hates. You also don't want to find a solution where someone's always winning and someone's losing. How can we find a win-win solution or at least something that is, will work and we can have progress too? But if you can't see where the other person's coming from, Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of his habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. As an AD, you might have been a coach. As a principal, you might have been a coach. But you see things differently now as a principal, as an administrator than you did as a coach. Well, you've got to think back to that coach, remember, is only seeing their tree. They're not seeing the whole forest. That coach is see, doing things the same way you did as a coach. So you've got to try to understand that again, not saying that they're right and you're wrong and not to say that you have to cave. But it does mean you're not going to be able to move forward together if you can't even establish some baseline this is stuff that we agree upon. And it's not even agree upon like, uh, yes, I agree. You're right about this. It's I agree. Your perspective is what you believe. I understand where you're coming from. I understand the, the, the situation that you're in. I understand that you have all these parents breathing down your neck and you have to have practice at this time. Or I understand that none of your kids have cars. So you have to have practice at this time or in this gym. I understand that. So you start from a starting point of at least your understanding. And that coach now understands that you understand. It doesn't mean that you're going to have the perfect solution, but a lot of us don't even get to that point. A lot of us just put our heels in the sand and we just only see our perspective. We just see, we just see our tree and not the whole forest. Yeah, that's very, uh, very good advice. Relevant. Definitely. What advice or words of encouragement would you give to someone who really wants to leave a lasting impact on the people they lead? Yeah. You know, the, uh, a lot of times we want to do everything. You know, but you can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't reach everyone, but you can reach somebody. 
it's really tough in this space, you know, of, of when we're dealing with people because people are tough. We're complex, um, you know, and it's tough working with people sometimes, especially teenagers, and we can get very discouraged. Uh, it's not original to me, but there's the story of a girl walking on a beach. All these, uh, you know, starfish are on the beach. They've been washed up on the beach and she's throwing some of them back in the ocean. And these two guys, you know, ask her what she's doing. And she's like, well, I'm saving the starfish. And there's like, well, there's millions of them out here. You know, what does it matter? And she goes, well, it matters to the ones I throw back in. It matters to them. We're not going, we're not going to save everybody on our team. We're not going to get everybody to see our point of view. We're not going to make that positive impact make that positive impact on everybody. But there's going to be some people that we can have some kind of a impact on. There's going to be somebody that we can influence in a small way. Um, it's not our job to save people's lives. It's not our job to turn their life around where, where they go from a, you know, zero to hero. It is our job to do what we can. And oftentimes what we can is just to, just to be there when we need to be there, to take advantage of opportunities, to catch people being good, to be a dealer in hope. Um, and so it does get discouraging sometimes, but oftentimes the discouragement is because we're either comparing ourselves to somebody else, like we're comparing our life, our normal life to someone else's highlight film, you know, and that could be on social media. Mm-hmm. You know, we see, oh, this, this coach or this AD or this principal, you know, they're, they're always saying how many great things they did or what, what programs they put in place or, or this person came back and, and said, thanks, or this person ended up being a success in life. We, we tend to compare our real world to their highlight film. Mm-hmm. So the comparison thing, but the other is we tend to be an all or nothing society. So it's like, well, they didn't all turn out the way they should have. It's not about getting everybody to do it. It's about can you get and have an impact or influence one person, two people. Think of it, the starfish. You can't save every starfish, but you can save one or two, and it's going to matter for them. So, so look at it in little bits, bits and chunks. You know the old adage of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You know it's kind of a stupid illustration, but look at it that way. We get frustrated because we see the big you know, how many people we need to help and we're not, we're, we're falling short because we're not helping all of them. So our percentage is terrible. Look at it from an individual basis. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. So I want to wrap up briefly discussing your, uh, one of your books and it's one that I read through and liked it, liked the format of it. Um, it's building champions and you basically listed 26 different success principles in beautiful alphabetical order. I, I like that, that format. Um, obviously we don't have to have time to talk about all 26 today, but, um, I wanted to pull a couple of my favorites out and the first one's courage. And I love what you said in the book about preparation leads to courage. And that's something that I've tried to tell our athletes, our coaches, um, the more prepared we can have our kids the more courage and the better they're going to play. Um, a question that came to mind in terms of personal growth. Do you think somebody has to be courageous before they can grow as an individual or can somebody grow to be courageous? Yeah. You know, these questions are always tough and that's why you ask them because they're (laughs) not an obvious answer. Uh, You know, I think a lot of times 
we have to be courageous to decide that we're going to be courageous. We have to be courageous to decide that we're going to grow and improve because not everybody wants to be coachable. Not everybody wants to improve and develop. So we have to be courageous to a degree to step out and do something that that is not easy because if it was easy, everybody would do it. Not everybody improves in life. Not everybody grows and matures in life. So, so that's different. So it takes courage to do something different. But we're not born being courageous necessarily. So we have to grow and develop through life to develop different ways to be courageous. We have to understand, we have to learn from people to learn what it means to be courageous sometimes, to learn what it means to step out and take risks sometimes that, yeah, you might, you, you might fall down. You might have some setbacks, but those are setups to success one day. You know, you're you're going to fall down, but you can get back up again. So you got to have courage to improve, but you also have to improve and have that growth mindset in order to kind of see how I could be courageous to a degree. But uh, I do think we always should be looking for ways to to improve, grow and develop. But that's not something that lots of people want to do. And so sometimes to do that, we're going to have to be um courageous in that in terms of okay take a coach for instance or an ad you have a lot of coaches and ad's that listen to this when you make a mistake or you're trying to grow as a coach or as a leader as an ad you may be transparent about something or you may admit your shortfallings in in, in an area people don't do that our our politicians don't do that most of our bosses don't do that our parents you know when do we ever see our parents when we're teenagers apologize I mean, we know that they're wrong, but they don't apologize because they're parents. We don't see the courage from people to step out and be transparent or admit when they have short fallings. We don't see that. And so then we're not able to grow and develop as much as, as we can because we don't see that. Now, imagine if you're a coach or an AD and you step out and you say, you know what? I need to get better in this area. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be more coachable. I haven't been coachable. I want my players to be coachable, but I haven't been coachable. If you step out and do that, there's going to be some people that that throw you under the bus. They're going to say, "Oh, why do we want this guy? He's not competent. He's not a good leader. He doesn't know what he's doing." No, he knows exactly what he's doing. He just fell short. He was human in these two areas. You know, that doesn't mean he's incompetent. Mm-hmm. incompetence or some of incompetence is when you keep doing something that's wrong and you don't learn from it, grow from it. Um, you know, so I think we could provide a lot of people examples of this by stepping out and, and being courageous. And then that leads to that growth and development, but it's the mindset of wanting to have growth and development that says, I only get that if I step out and do something that's unusual. Yeah. There. Very good. Last one. Um, you say that success is a choice and I, I, I agree, but kind of describe that statement, uh, wrap it all up here for my listeners, uh, that they have to choose to be successful. First of all, we have to define success and that's going to look different for everybody. My definition of success is doing the best you're capable of doing, maximizing your potential. Now we can dig deeper in that. Um, I could go a long, a long time digging deeper in that. But that's essentially what I look at it as. So everybody's going to be different. If if you're a six foot two basketball player, 
you're you might be limited more than a six foot five person or a six foot eight person with your same skills. Um, you know, if you come from uh, come from a rough background, but you have the same IQ as somebody that comes from a great background or two parent household, you, you your success might be limited a little bit or your opportunities might be limited, but you could still be successful. Maybe not in the world's eyes. You might not have as much money or as many yachts or or achieve as many titles as somebody else, but you can still maximize your potential. But uh, with that, I believe that we make choices all through life. We're constantly making choices. Most of them are just small choices, but we're making choices that then affect how we are tomorrow, the next day, the next day, because those choices we make, all those individual choices create habits and those habits end up making us who we are. Now, can I make the choice to be an NBA Hall of Famer? No, Jamie Beckler did not make a choice to be an NBA Hall of Famer. What if I did make that choice? Well, I very likely would have fallen short. So just because you make choices doesn't mean that you're going to achieve what you want in life all the time. But what it does mean is you're going to put yourself in positions to maximize your potential in what you're capable of doing. Some of us aren't capable of being NBA players. Some of us aren't capable of being jockeys in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, We're not capable of doing certain things, but we're capable of doing others. And are we doing as well as we possibly can? There's plenty of people out there that, that make choices every day that make their life more difficult. And then they blame others for those choices. They take that victim mentality. Going back to my story about me being fired, Bitter or better. I had to make that choice that day. I believe I became a successful coach that day. That day, that hour, I became a successful coach 10 years down the road. My success 5, 10, 15 years later, winning championships, being nationally ranked, getting a bunch of accolades was because of that choice I made right there. I firmly believe if I hadn't made that choice, then the next day I wouldn't have made a good choice. And then the next day I wouldn't have made this because I would have, I went, went down the path of bitterness. Mm-hmm. And so I would have constantly seen everything from the lens of how somebody was screwing me over, how somebody was giving me the raw deal, how I deserved or, or should have earned all this. And I didn't get what I thought I deserved. I would have went down a wrong path. Now, at any point, you can always deviate from that path and, and take a better path. And then you need to create a new set of habits. And it's going to take a while to create those new sets of habits. But I believe your choices, you know, hey, I know there's never been a point in time. I know when it comes to being in shape, I need to get in better shape. Well, I like Dr. Pepper and Kit Kats. Okay. I've never once opened up a Kit Kat and accidentally thought I was peeling an orange. I mean, yep. you, I know exactly. I've never once opened up a diet pep, a Dr. Pepper and thought I was opening up a bottle of Aquafina water. Like I make the choice and I know those choices. I'm going to have to be on the treadmill a whole lot longer when I eat that Kit Kat. That's a silly example, but we know most of the things we should do in life. We just choose not to do them. And then we shouldn't be real, you know, surprised at the outcomes or the consequences. Good stuff. Well, Jamie, uh, I really appreciate you coming on really good stuff packed into today's episode. And, um, I say it every week, but hopefully if you're listening to this, you can grab some stuff that we talked about today and apply it to your situation or or your organization that you lead and, uh, hope you're better from it. 
So, Jamie, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, I look forward to following you, continuing to follow you, and um, I hope my listeners do as well. If you haven't, uh, if you don't know who Jamie is, look him up on Twitter. He's got a ton of followers and a ton of great resources, and uh, I, I would really encourage you to check out some of the stuff he's got. So thank you again. Thanks, Bo. Appreciate it. Thanks for what you do in your, in the, in your school every day and, and with this podcast as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lead to Win podcast. You can find all of Coach Beckler's links in the description of this episode if you'd like to connect, purchase any of his books, or want more information. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter as uh, he puts out consistent and relevant info and resources every single day. If you're listening this week, make sure to follow the Lead to Win podcast on social media. You can find us on Facebook, X, Instagram, and even TikTok. Give us a like and a follow and feel free to share any of the content. Full episodes of the Lead to Win podcast can be found on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. I'm your host, Bo Bergen. 